Welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's. We are digging in as we learn together the stories of Jesus, particularly found in the Gospel of Mark. This week, we're going to look at Jesus's authority. What does it mean for Jesus to not only have authority as king, king of the world, and liberator of us all, but to offer his authority to us as disciples. What does that call us as disciples to understand? And what does that call the church to do as we live in this culture and seek to change the world and bring God's kingdom? Let's go in and listen to Dr. E.B. Arnold as she leads us this week. Hello, friends, and welcome to our sixth week in our study of the Gospel of Mark. Today, we discuss the topic of godly authority or Mark's view of the kingdom of God. Let's explore what Mark means when he talks about Jesus's authority. What does it look like? Well, we're told right away that when Jesus went to Capernaum and the Sabbath came, he entered his synagogue and taught. And everyone was astounded at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. This may cause us to wonder, how were the scribes, the religious leaders and interpreters of the law and the Hebrew Bible, how were they teaching as not having authority? They were considered leaders in the community with the proper training, the proper position. We know that somehow they must not have spoken with the same amount of conviction as Jesus, or perhaps not living in the same alignment with the thing that he's teaching. This is very interesting because when we think about someone with authority, we tend to think about someone who is being in a position of power. But Jesus is not a scribe. He is not a religious leader in that particular sense. He is sort of this self-made rabbi walking around the countryside and teaching in various synagogues and healing people. So we see as Jesus's authority is something that's very central to himself. His authority comes from within. Or we might look back at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit descending and telling Jesus, you are my beloved son. Perhaps this is where Jesus distilled this particular authority. And that made him very unique compared to all the other teachers that might be. Let's look at how Mark finishes this particular story in Mark chapter one. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Now, it's very interesting to look at this particular passage and see a connection that Mark is making. He first introduces Jesus in this Capernaum synagogue in Mark chapter 1, verse, in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, that Jesus is teaching. And nothing strange seems to be going on except for the fact that people are astounded at his teaching. We're assuming that this means Jesus's words. They're listening to him talk and they notice a weight, an authority, a conviction in his words that they have not found in any of their other religious leaders. 
But then Mark shifts and says, there in that same synagogue is a man with an unclean spirit, a demon. And what's interesting is Jesus casts the spirit out and then all the people look at one another in the synagogue and say, look at this new teaching with authority. And then they add, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. What's fascinating to me is that Mark makes a connection between Jesus's teaching with his words and Jesus's teaching with his actions. Because it's after he casts this demon out that the people call this a new teaching. Jesus wasn't just teaching when he was sitting down in the synagogue and explaining scriptures or giving the command to repent because the kingdom of God is near. But the people actually noticed that Jesus's authority as a teacher is based in what Jesus does. So the fact that he can tell the spirit to go, tell it to be quiet, and he can also release this person. He can grant them freedom. These are actions that Jesus engages in. And so Jesus's authority is that which he speaks and that which he does. In the next example we have about what Jesus's authority looks like in the Gospel of Mark comes in the second chapter. In this story, there's many people gathered around this house and in this house it says that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And Jesus was speaking the word to all these people. And then some people came bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of his friends. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, what does this fellow speak in this way? That's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions amongst themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took his mat and went out before all of them, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Again, we notice this same connection for Mark. Jesus's authority is questioned this time. What authority do you have, Jesus, to forgive sins? That seems like it could only be something God could do. Now, it's very interesting that it's the scribes questioning Jesus, when in the previous passage, Jesus was being compared to the scribes, that he didn't have the same weak authority that they did, that he spoke with real authority. He taught and cast out demons with real authority. And so it's interesting here that he's being questioned by the same group he was being compared to. So when they say, how can you forgive sins? This is Jesus speaking to the man, your sins are forgiven. Notice that this is before the man is physically healed. And when everyone is saying, how can you do this? Jesus has to demonstrate that he has the authority to speak these words. And how does he demonstrate that authority? He says, stand up and take your mat and walk. It's also by an act of healing 
an act of release that marries Jesus's authority in what he says to what he does. And for Mark, I think this is a particularly important point that what Jesus does and says are so congruous. Just like we've seen before when we've talked about Jesus's emotional state, that what Jesus is feeling is always connected to what Jesus does. So Jesus's authority is measured in how related what he says and what he does are. Forgiveness lets people go. It brings them into a freedom. Likewise, healing someone of a lifelong or long-time paralysis is also a type of freedom. And Jesus's authority is that which can both speak words that bring people release or do actions that bring people into freedom. And best of all, it's usually both. The words that he says, words like go in peace, words like your sins are forgiven, words like your faith has saved you, are usually found in conjunction with an action that brings healing or brings freedom. Another one of Mark's points about Jesus's authority is that Jesus's authority is shared. We will often find Jesus delegating his authority to his disciples. So in Mark chapter 3, it says, And Jesus appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, and to be sent out to proclaim the message and to have authority to cast out demons. When you notice this phrase, it says he named twelve whom he called apostles. And that word apostle means one who is sent. Apostolos or apostello means to send or to um, send out. And so he says that he has named them people to be sent out with the authority to proclaim the message. In other words, to teach about the kingdom and to cast out demons. A little while later, in chapter 6, it says he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits so that they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Here we can see the same relationship that Mark points out in Jesus's authority, that there is a perfect harmony and integrity between Jesus's words and Jesus's actions. So he gives the same type of authority to his apostles. He anoints them in order to speak, that's proclaiming the message, preaching that all should repent, and also to cast out demons and to anoint those who are sick with oil. What this essentially says is that those who follow Jesus, those who have taken up the mantle of Jesus, the tasks that Jesus has left his community to do, is that we are both to speak words that set people free and to perform actions that do the same. And the beauty of Mark's casting Jesus this way is that there is always a certain contrast that Jesus's authority has with the type of authority that the world has. So for instance, in the world's authority, someone like a tyrant or a despot would have ultimate authority. And the worst thing they could think of is giving authority to someone else to be able to endow with that same power others. Because in the world's system of thinking, that would make someone else a rival a competitor, 
And yet, Jesus wants to make disciples who do what he does, who carry on his mission. And so Jesus's authority doesn't just look different from the world's, but it has a very completely different structure to it in that he wants to empower rather than lord over those who are following him. We can see a really wonderful and interesting example of this in a juxtaposition of two stories that Mark gives us. In the first one, we'll see a very worldly authority and what all of its quirks are, what all of its pit pop, excuse me, all of its pitfalls are. And in the second one, we see a very different contrast from Jesus. So in Mark chapter six, we have this story of King Herod, and he has heard about Jesus and his disciples and what all they've done in Jesus's name. And it says some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead. And for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, no, it's Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, well, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised? For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I'll give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? And she replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved. Yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. Let's just briefly take stock of what elements we can distill about worldly authority from this story of Herod. Well, first we can see that a worldly authority is one that physically dominates. Notice how it says that Herod sent men who bound John, arrested him, and put him in prison. John ultimately dies there and has his life taken from him. A worldly authority is far more concerned with what it can do to a person than what it can do for them. Another thing that we notice is that all the people who are present here are dignitaries, other than John the Baptist, of course. Herod is a king, Herodias the queen, the princess Herodias, 
We have courtiers, officers, leaders of Galilee. These are very important people in the world's eyes, and they are at this fantastic banquet, probably in the palace, with all kinds of sumptuous food and drink and luxurious settings. Indeed, we get a certain idea of exactly what kind of kingdom Herod serves. This is not the poor or the lame. <laughs> These are the people that can do something for Herod, which is why he's worried about looking weak in front of them. He's looking, worried about looking bad in front of them. And he's not concerned with the one John the Baptist and worried about what he can do for him. He's far more concerned about the people that can do something for the king. And so he gives in to this call for violence. And he uses the life and the head of John the Baptist as his own currency to get what he wants, to pacify his wife, to pacify the people who are there at his banquet, and ultimately to settle for himself the fact that he is indeed the one in control. This is very much a picture of how Mark wants us to understand what worldly authority looks like. Worldly authority looks like taking. It looks like using. And it is ultimately in order to preserve one's own power. But immediately upon the conclusion of this John the Baptist and Herod story, Mark tells us a very different kind of story and yet one with interesting similarities. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30, says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. And as he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now very late. Send these people away so they can go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And the disciples said to him, Are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he ordered them to, to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before all the people. And he divided two fish among them all, and all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. By placing this story immediately on the heels of the story of Herod and John the Baptist, I believe that Mark wants us to see a distinct contrast between the type of authority that Herod wields and the type of authority that Jesus wields. Indeed, we're poised to already recognize it as we've looked at Jesus's authority up to this point, that it's always this marriage between what he says and what he does 
and how that those are always redemptive and liberating for those who are there. In this story, unlike John the Baptist story, Jesus greets people who are there on foot, people who need healing, people who are hungry. These are not the dignitaries that Herod is entertaining for his birthday. No, these are people in desperate need, people that can't do anything for Jesus, but he can do something for them. Already at this banquet, the one being held on the green grass by the Sea of Galilee, we can already see a difference even just in the guests. Second, we can already see that Jesus understands his authority in a different way than Herod. Jesus looks at the crowds, it says, and has compassion on them. That word compassion means to feel it in your gut. When Jesus saw all these people lost and unguided and needing teaching, it was like a punch in the gut to him. That feeling that we have when we think someone should do something. And Jesus didn't just think someone should do something. He thought, I must do something. Notice how this is already taxing Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, it says, had hardly any time to even eat. And that they were all very tired, both his disciples and he. And just when they thought they were going to get some rest, the crowds demanded more. And yet Jesus continues to give. Whereas Herod was keeping John the Baptist alive as long as it suited him and as long as it didn't conflict with other things that he had. But we can see that if Herod has no leisure to do it, Herod won't do it. Jesus, of course, gives of himself even when it's inconvenient and even when it might even be painful. Another thing we notice is that at one banquet, the one with Herod, John the Baptist is actually the meal itself. His head is served up on a platter in this gruesome and grisly scene, demonstrating that anybody, any one person, particularly one that's homeless and poor, can be used as a commodity in order to purchase standing or more authority and power. Whereas Jesus multiplies what little there is in order to give to more. In fact, later in Mark's gospel, Jesus will preside over another breaking of the bread and he will tell his disciples that it is he himself who is that bread, that his body will be broken like that bread is broken and his blood will be poured out like wine. Whereas Herod demands the body and ultimately the life of one of the people who as a king he is supposed to protect, Jesus gives himself, not just of himself, but his entire self. As we've noted throughout our study in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' statement in Mark chapter 10 verse 45 is that he is there to give his life as a ransom for many. Right here we see him giving out of his tiredness, giving out of his fatigue, giving out of compassion. Later, and ultimately, he will give up his very living, his very existence. But through both, his authority is demonstrated. Because not only is he giving to them, it says, like sheep, like feeding them and nurturing them, but that he is the shepherd. Now, a point to remember is that in the ancient Near Eastern 
civilizations, kings were very commonly referred to as shepherds. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the books of Samuel, we find that David is considered one to shepherd the people. That the same job that that David had as a shepherd boy out in the pasture applies to the way he's meant to guide God's people and the people of Israel. So here, Jesus conceives of himself as a shepherd over these sheep, which tells us something, that this is a story about Jesus's kingship, about his authority to govern and what that looks like. And again, we come to the point of the passage is that this type of authority, a godly authority, a godly kingship, is a king that gives. Jesus sees that Thousands of people are fed, and not just by the act of multiplying the loaves and fishes, but it says also by teaching them. Notice again, we have this connection. Jesus' authority is based in how integrated are his words and his actions. Whatever words he's teaching them with, whatever he's encouraging them or revealing to them about the kingdom of God is also demonstrated tangibly in the way that he interacts with them by the liberating, nourishing actions of feeding them, of healing them. And this is in stark contrast with the authority of Herod, who is so insecure about his authority that he's willing to behead even a prophet that he's very fond of if it means solidifying further his power. So our question then, as we live our lives now, and as we live and move as the church in the world is, can we discern godly authority from the world's authority? Can we discern, can we understand, and therefore also embody godly authority? And that's a word that we're often very hesitant to use because authority can have a very negative connotation. Because so often, because of the way the world uses this word, it means to dominate, to oppress or suppress. But yet when we see authority modeled for us in Jesus and the kind of authority it says that we as his disciples have been delegated to, we have the authority to proclaim good news. We have the authority to bring healing to situations and people who are in need of liberation, freedom, and love that we have the authority to mirror the goodness of God. This is not an authority to punish or an authority to censure, but an authority to be the catalyst for freedom and to be able to provide the nourishment that Jesus says that he came to give. Authority for us looks like the disciples in this story of the feeding of 5,000 where we receive the baskets full of good things and distribute them. And that is a good word for us. Thank you so much for being here this week, and I look forward to fellowshipping with you next week. Be blessed. Welcome to Your Week with St. Luke's. We are here with our Office Hours podcast with our four pastors and Dr. E.B. Arnold again. Um, And this week we are looking at Jesus, the miracle worker. We're in Mark 6. So E.B., why don't you kick us off? 
Well, thank you so much, Melissa, and it's always great to be here with y'all at St. Luke's. Uh, This week, you know, we're talking about Jesus doing uh, these miracles, and particularly in chapter 6 of Mark, the big miracle we get is the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. And what's really interesting is how Mark is holding up Jesus working this miracle and feeding these people, very specifically feeding them, and that being in contrast with Herod, who in the same chapter throws a banquet and John the Baptist's head comes out on one of the platters meant to carry the food. Mm-hmm. So we're definitely seeing Jesus in his role as a miracle worker being linked to his role as king or his mm-hmm. role as leader and ruler because he's definitely in contrast with Herod. He's a different mm-hmm. type of king. And what I think is really interesting is that obviously when we're reading this, we're supposed to think that Jesus is the one that has the more authentic authority. But in our world, is violent authority seen or understood as more uh, powerful or more legitimate even than an authority that uses itself in order to feed? What do you, what do you all think about that? What kind of purchase does that have in our world? Mm. Just your initial thought about John the Baptist's head coming out on one of the platters. I mean, just the idea of systems that devour prophets. Oh, yeah. Right, that, 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 yeah. that's what they Ooh. hope to do, and that's what they want, right? Let's start right out of the gate. Let's, yeah. let's, <laughs> let's start real easy and shallow here. Um, profit, right? I was actually profits. still stuck with the whole, like what she just did with the mm-hmm. whole, the feeding and the platter. And I, the, I, don't know, I hadn't yeah. put that together that these two stories are right next to each other until mm-hmm. this exact moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but keep going, Jeremy. I, we yeah. interrupted you. Yeah. You were so profound. I think I'm, that might have been it. Uh, <laughs> you know, that <laughs> might be sufficient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I, I don't know. Like, when... It makes me think of uh, of the prince. It makes me think of uh, Machiavelli. Of is it, is it better to be feared or better to be respected or loved? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it really does. Hate to be the emo pastor, but like it really does <laughs> make you go, oh man, what 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 is the hope that we have mm-hmm. as agents of peace and love and uh, and the continuation of the story of Jesus up against us that when when we don't want to harm up against a system that hopes to harm. Right. Yes. Right. Us specifically, when we want to bring liberation and peace, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Yeah. 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 It it is interesting that you pose the question because my honest answer is my honest in the world daily answer is not the answer that should be my answer as Mm -hmm. as a follower of Jesus. My honest answer is, yeah, violence does win. Violence does have more power. And I hate that, but I watch liberators get devoured all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. just we just watch that consume our news, consume our thoughts, consumes our media, consume that that ideology of how we work in the world. Mm-hmm. Or sociologically, mm-hmm. we work that way, mm-hmm. and and that is so antithetical to what the gospel is trying to tell us, especially in Mark, Mm -hmm. with a rough Jesus. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If we go back to the first week, this is a rough Jesus that is, that is coarse, that is direct, that doesn't mince words, that is, is physical. And yet even that up and against the powers of this world that are more violent seems, well, we know it loses in the crucifixion. Well, and that's one of, one of the questions uh, that, that, 
is the constant question of Christianity is why did Jesus have to die? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the answers to that is that's the only way the world knew how to engage with Jesus. Mm-hmm. When, when you bring God incarnate to the world, the, the, the world's response is kill it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the threat right. of goodness. Yeah, and so Jesus says, okay, then I'll die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the world, we talk about all this stuff, but you guys, this is what sin is. Mm-hmm. Right. And we, we want to associate sin, again, we want to play around with sin being these little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is the ultimate of what sin is, mm. as it makes us devour what is good and lovely and powerful and just and mighty in love. And we mm. devour one another all the time. Mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. comes and shows us and, and, and experiences that, right? Mm. Becomes one who is devoured to, to show us what we are doing to one another too. Mm. Yeah, mm. exactly. And, and then that whole, exactly what you just said, Melissa, that he, not, so this happens to John the Baptist, but in the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus orchestrates it for himself and yeah. said, this is my body. I mm. am giving it. I am breaking it for you. And so we get this movement from, yeah, the world devours prophets to prophets offer themselves up to be devoured. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a movement that's, uh, we can make sense of the first one. That second one is an internal struggle, I think, that is even harder, mm-hmm. right. you know, mm-hmm. for us to make peace with, oh, you want me to volunteer for that. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why we make <laughs> sin about- Other things. Other things, <laughs> other, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who's having sex with you and how we're having sex or, mm-hmm. or alcohol or things like that, which are in and of itself obstacles to fullness and abundant life and mm-hmm. the bread of life mm-hmm. and, and the living water and all of those things. And yet it's so much deeper. Those are just behavioral things that have so much deeper meaning, but we want to make it that because it's too hard to give our whole selves. Mm-hmm. And it's so much easier to point the finger, right. to yes. deflect from myself yes. right. and and blame other people. It's not my problem, it's them, mm-hmm. it's that, that, they that did it, as opposed to what Jesus is the example of, mm-hmm. offering himself up, offering yourself up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much easier to point the finger. At least I don't do that thing. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I might be a sinner, but I'm not one of them, yeah, right? right? Well, isn't it interesting? Because because in the miracle of the feeding, mm-hmm. he tells them to go feed the people. Yes. He gives yep. his authority to them mm. to yep. make the miracle happen. Yeah. and says, quit pointing your finger yeah. about those things. Go make yeah. abundant food mm-hmm. and abundant life mm-hmm. and abundant things happen. Well, and so it's not just Jesus' authority to himself yeah. in, in right. and of himself, but giving it to us to give us another way to live. Yeah. It, the, the, it, Jesus even, you're like, this isn't about me right now. This is about you. This is still mm-hmm. about you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm here with you, but... Go, go do the thing. Honestly, it all makes me think about the recent kind of scrutiny and pushback, um, specifically in the black community, that human messianic leadership has gotten, right? So when you look at history of black leaders in America, they've often been killed, right? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So uh, Martin Luther King by himself as a messianic leader doesn't work, right? Right. Uh, Your Fred Hamptons and all those folks, it it, it doesn't work because those individuals can be killed. But only when it's an extension of, right, the the idea when it's community doing it, Mm -hmm. does it it work? That's what the feeding of the, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying, of the folks uh, Mm -hmm. make me think of. It can't just be, and, and human messianic leadership doesn't work. Right. But for Jesus, it did. Jesus is the only one who, 
by being chewed up by the system mm-hmm. that devours profits could still bring liberation. That's what mm-hmm. un- I mean. Well, never mind. Go into a weird theology. And what's interesting, Jeremy, is that every time one of our black leaders or prophetic leaders is consumed, the community gives up. Mm. The community secedes its power of this authority of the gospel over mm. to violence. Mm-hmm. And, mm. and we give up thinking it's the one person. Yes. And we give up the power of the community and the authority that Jesus gives the community mm-hmm. to go and take, take that authority upon you mm-hmm. and, and bring the kingdom of God to life. We give it up. We, give, we, right. we, fa- we say we can't do it. Well, and, and that's also because we don't read to the end of the story mm-hmm. <laughs> because the, the, the whole good news is that death isn't the end. Mm-hmm. We are a community not of, of ongoing living, but a community of resurrection, which mm-hmm. means, yeah, we're going to die probably over and over and over again. And we're going to be disappointed and defeated over and over again, and we're going to get up. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the... That's really why the the story of Mark's resurrection is so powerful because the story is so dark and because the death is so final and so certain. Um, and so I, I feel like that's sort of the area where we have to lean into in, in, in just sort of naming those moments and saying, okay, I think we died today, folks. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think today when we suffered this defeat, I think today was a day of death. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be on the lookout for okay, where's our resurrection coming from? And it, and it will come, and to trust and have faith that that resurrection is coming. Right. And I think that's, that's part of the power of the ending. I've been thinking about that a lot last month or so now, that um, how it ends with that, that because it just so, so it's open for us. Mm-hmm. It is so dark. Yeah. But then you turn the page and it's blank for us to fill in. Um, that's the, but that also that goes back to your point, Jen, well, Herod was so great. He had so much property. He built so many amazing things. He was a great king, a leader who killed our prophets, who mm-hmm. tore us down. And we can turn back to that in the darkness, or we can take the opportunity in resurrection to, to write what's next. It's, it's sad, too, because is, is, it a, is it that we don't have a good theology of resurrection? <clears throat> We don't have words to talk about resurrection as a community, or we don't, we're afraid to name death. I think we're afraid to name death. Mm-hmm. Yep. Name death, not only for physical death, but like you said, this was a, you know, Martin Luther King died. It felt like civil rights died. Mm-hmm. How do you claim that? How do you say that? It didn't, it continued on. But when we put up one person as, as whatever it is that we're looking for and hinge all of our hopes on that one person, when that's gone, what do we have left? We don't, we don't and we don't claim death. We just don't. Yeah. We don't talk mm-hmm. about death. We yeah. don't claim death. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway. We have we, euphemisms, right? We, and we only talk about resurrection in the sense of afterlife a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And not the resurrection, the daily resurrections yeah. that yeah. we experience. So so if we if we could be more broad in our understanding of resurrection, we could probably be more comfortable in understanding death too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But if we only think of resurrection as then and and after Someday, physical death. Far yeah. away. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I love that 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 Psalm 
that says, I will see God's goodness in the land of the living. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't need to put that off until we die. No. <laughs> we get to see resurrection sooner than that. Well, and we're, we're right now in the midst of Black History Month. So I love that you brought some of that up. And we're, we're talking about these individuals too. And, and I think so often we go through Black History Month lifting up these individuals. Look at mm-hmm. what they did right? instead of hearing how they are calling to us. Right, right. <laughs> Look at what we are keep doing. Going. What is happening. In the midst right of we are the resurrection mm-hmm. of people who maybe were martyred in that mm-hmm. way. The prophets mm-hmm. that call to us. Not, the pro- not look what the prophets did. It's look what the prophets are calling us to do. Right. And that's very different. Yeah. It's much easier, a different pointing of the finger. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to point and look at, look how great they were mm-hmm. or are, or they're doing some great things without turning back on what our responsibility is. Well, and a good leader instills that authority before something happens to yes. them, which is what Jesus was doing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Jesus was, Jesus was like, look, I'm not always going to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I am going to be consumed. Mm. Um, and so here's the authority. It rests in you. Here's the resurrection lies in you. Um, it doesn't just lie in me, but love prevails because you will continue this work and you will continue to be the miracle and mm. you will continue to heal and feed. And Yeah, before we even get to the the sort of, you know, two pictures of Herod and Jesus feeding, Jesus sends his disciples out on their first mission. Yeah, And he says, I give you authority over evil spirits and to heal. Mm. That's your authority. And mm. I feel like that's sort of the the scope of the church's authority. <laughs> are you releasing from evil and are you healing? Mm. That's what you have authority over. Mm. But are we, I wonder, are we as the church in this particular time, are we afraid of that word authority? Yes. Why is that? Like, why do we shy from saying that this is our authority? I, I, don't, I think we're authority over people and yeah. not authority over healing and evil. Mm. We think, like authority over people because that's why we're so judgy. But I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, there's, there's an element for me of the word authority. There's, there, there's, there's a relationship to pride in that too. I, I don't know. There's something of if I claim authority, then I think... I think something of myself that that I'm not necessarily comfortable thinking of right. myself. I mean, that's what the bishop says to all of us when we're ordained, uh, take thou authority. authority. And mm-hmm. I think those are words that I, I've talked to a lot of ordinance. Like, that's an uncomfortable concept because so much of what we talk about is humility and, and servanthood. And, and to think of authority in servanthood is a weird Mm-hmm. Paradox, almost. Yeah, that's um, the first thing I thought of was arrogance. But but it's fascinating, you know. Just taking this story, if we just focus on this feeding of the five thousand story, it's one that is adorable in children's ministry. <laughs> and look, and and I don't think this is the version where there's the boy who gives no, gives that. That's but, John's. But but it's it's one of those stories, and we 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 still focus on Jesus in the story in the mm-hmm. way that we tell it. We mm-hmm. miss everything we have been talking about which is him giving away his authority, yes. giving away his miracle working power. It is not Jesus' miracle no. to work. No. And and even in the way that so often I know what I was taught growing up, the way it was framed to me and every time this would be given in a children's sermon or, or whatever, it was look what Jesus did. And that's not what's happening in the story. So, I just, just the, the thought that because it's a real thing, I do think we have a hard time with humility and authority, right? It just screams of a culture that's just bad at nuance. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just the, the idea that we struggle with the idea that somebody could be both gentle and strong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. It, it, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Just to last one to that no, idea. But it, just, it bothers me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not, the thing is, the pride is not in our authority. Exactly. Right. It's in the Lord's authority. <laughs> right. Through us. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus's authority. It's mm-hmm. God's authority. It's God's kingdom mm-hmm. that we have the power to reveal. That's where the authority comes from. And it's not us doing, making the kingdom. It's revealing the kingdom that already came mm-hmm. through the power of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that, I think, is part of it. I mean, that part when we're ordained and they say, take thou authority upon you, it, it, is, it is overwhelming. It is an overwhelming thing when, when you think of that and you're having to make decisions and you're having to lead. Mm-hmm. But if you step back and go, but this is just Jesus. This is Jesus' work. And I'm just a conduit helping other people find their conduits and open up their conduits. Mm. It does reframe it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but over evil and healing, that's that's, that's the key. Yeah. Like we, mm-hmm. we, we <laughs> those are two broad things, by the way. They are, yeah. they are. Um, but we don't like that evil part. We don't like the healing part either. We don't want people to be fully, wholly healed. That, well, we do. do. But, but we make it about like little... Surface stuff. But we don't want to be made uncomfortable by however it happens. Yeah. That's very important. What I struggle with is how much that has been abused. Yeah. There have been people who have taken some authority in the name of Jesus and abused people and Mm -hmm. that authority. They've taken the Mm -hmm. name of Jesus and they make billions of dollars healing people. They've taken their authority in the name of Jesus, not Jesus's authority through their name. But I think that's part of why I still still pull back because, mm -hmm. because, you know, they call out people I love dearly as evil. (laughs) And I know in the name of Jesus, that is not true. And that's, it's definitions. It's definitions of authority. It's definitions of healing. It's definitions of evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think part, like, Yes, I think the, the pride and authority piece is there, but I also think, for me, it goes back to um, what we were talking about earlier about actually, you know, you can point at those prophets, right? And you can say, they did such great things. But then you, if you, when you acknowledge that, and you acknowledge yourself as, a, a, as, as carrying on the story, now you have to do stuff. Mm, yep. and, it's, and, it's, and it's the responsibility piece for me and, and authority where I'm like, yo, what if... However, I show up in this authority does not do justice to the story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that's frightening and daunting. Mm-hmm. And that can be a thing that makes authority something you don't want to take hold of. It's interesting because that's where, as we talk about, so you learn, you live, you love. We do that in the work of the church and the context of community. And then you go and lead your life. You, the church, by mm-hmm. the way, we are not the primary theologians. You are the primary theologians in the world. Go lead your life with Jesus. Go lead your life like Jesus. And people are like, ugh, because it has to do with that responsibility mm-hmm. and that worry. I'm not a leader, but, but we are. Every single person who follows Jesus is a leader in the context of their life. But we don't take that authority from Jesus to do that. We're afraid of it. Yeah, and Mark, I feel, has already sort of anticipated that. And so he makes the disciples in his story just a, kind of a bunch of idiots. Yeah. You know, bless their hearts. They they try, mm-hmm. but they just keep 
not getting it or they just keep screwing up. And guess what? Jesus says, all right, let's do this again. And we have this document because those people continued to follow, Mm -hmm. even when they were getting it wrong. You know, even when they went out and their witness wasn't exactly what it should have been or exactly what they hoped it could be, it, there is still, like you said, trusting, if we trust in Jesus's authority to be what undergirds us, it's also Jesus's vision and his goodness and his direction. And that that's going to take hold regardless of what mistakes we make along the way. So I feel like Mark has kind of padded that for us. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and by the way, this doesn't have to be perfect. Right. <laughs> it it didn't start perfect. So right. it doesn't have to, con- you don't have to continue any kind of perfection. This already started out messy. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and I think of if we go back to the beginning where we start to talk about, you know, the prophets and the black leaders and, and where we're at, they just kept going to the Pettus Bridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they kept showing up at the Pettus Bridge. Mm. They kept going. And that's, I think, sometimes what we have to consider that we can keep doing, mm-hmm. that we just, maybe our authority is not necessarily that we're always going to get it right, but that we keep showing up in the name of Jesus and in the love of Jesus. We keep showing up even when heads are on platters. Yeah. So maybe that violence that the world hands us or puts up and says, can you defeat this? Maybe not like in in a show of force, but can we outlast? And that's what the church is, I mean, we've been around for a few thousand years. And so maybe we need to just sort of claim that part of our heritage is, look, we can outlast right. anything. Right. Uh, and that's uh, probably how love wins in the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's resurrection. All right. So join us next week. (laughs) (laughs) The saga continues. Exactly. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 7 next week. Um, And if you didn't get all of that out of Mark chapter 6, then make sure you come back to worship um, on Sunday, and we'll try to, to help you get to that point. We'll see you then.